I recently read about the latest Gallup poll on the global state of emotions, and I wanted to dedicate this podcast episode to some insights I got after reflecting on it. According to this poll, we seem to be living in an era of rising tensions and negative emotions around the world. In this episode, I want to address some of the reasons why that might be happening, what it has to do with abuse, and what we can do about it. This is Meredith Miller, and you're listening to the Inner Integration Podcast, where you can learn the mindsets and tools to self-heal after narcissistic abuse. Could it be that things are getting worse in our world? Or is it that more people are starting to wake up and notice the abuses taking place all around them? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that things are getting worse so that people will wake up. I think things are going to have to get much worse before they get better. It seems to be the only way. When you think about what it took for you to make massive changes in your life, for you to leave an abusive relationship or situation, it probably had to get really bad before you took action. Likely, there was a moment when the straw broke the camel's back and you decided, that's enough. I call those the frying pan to the head moments. Once you go through that cathartic moment, you start working on educating yourself on the problem. You know that moment when you figure out what narcissistic abuse is and then you start to see it everywhere? First, you start to see more overt forms of the abuse. And then eventually, the more fine-tuned your radar gets, you start recognizing even the most covert forms of abuse. Narcissistic and psychopathic values and behavior are rampant in society nowadays. Similar to what individual victims go through, society is now suffering a similar fate. Increased levels of stress and worry, depression and anxiety, a disconnection from self, others, and the world around us, a sense of increasing unmet psychological needs and pain, health crises, substance addiction crises, relationship crises, wars and violence like we haven't learned anything from history. I want to give you a hefty dose of realism mixed with a healthy helping of optimism via empowerment in this episode so you can see that despite the global trends, despite what you might be seeing in the world around you, you can make different choices and perhaps through your example, others will wake up and take action too. I want to give you five ways to opt out of the negative emotional trends in the world. Number one. Generate your own economy and understand that money only buys you happiness to a certain point. Economic injustice and imbalance diminishes happiness and increases stress. Many people living on planet Earth today are not able to meet their basic human needs of food, clothing, and shelter. Millions of people don't have access to clean drinking water and health care. When your basic needs aren't met, it's hard, if not impossible, to reach higher states of self-actualization. For over 12 years after I quit my high school teaching job, I worked at surviving while being self-employed. It was rough, I won't lie. I lived month to month, hand to mouth, and never knew exactly when the next check was coming. I hustled my ass off during those years, sometimes doing things I didn't want to in order to get by. I lived under the poverty line all 12 of those years, and if I had to do it again, I would still make the same choice instead of going back to a job in the system. Once you drop out of that system and take the red pill of self-employment, there's no going back. 
it feels like soul death to even consider it. Now I know, poverty in USA looks very different than poverty in Zimbabwe or Nigeria or even Mexico, but it's relative. The stress of survival is universal. When you're in survival stress, not knowing if you're going to make ends meet from month to month, that kills your quality of life. It flatlines your creativity. It makes it very, very hard to practice abundance exercises in order to get yourself out of that hole. Here in Mexico, there's a lot of street entrepreneurship. These are the people you see at the traffic lights selling water or snacks, those who are offering to wash your windshield, the tamale cart that comes through the neighborhood almost daily singing tamales oaxaqueños, the woman who brings her little kids in tow as she sets up shop on a street corner selling flowers from an old tub of drywall plaster filled with water. People do what they need to do to put food on the table for their kids, and I have a lot of respect for that kind of entrepreneurship too. They're not begging for a handout. They're not waiting for their government to take care of them. They're taking matters into their own hands and generating their own economy with the ideas, skills, and resources that they've got. When you're broke and you have no options, you get resourceful. The more desperate you are, the more resourceful you need to get. I had to get to the point of absolute desperation before I took massive action and gave 100% commitment to my coaching business. I had to do things I'd never done before, and that was scary, but also exciting. I had to own my self-talk like a mental ninja in order to cast out all the doubts and fears that were trying to sabotage me, as they always had before. It worked. I went from living under the poverty line to generating a six-figure income in my business that continues to grow. By the way, if you want to join our Mental Ninja Mastery monthly group coaching program where you can learn those kinds of techniques, you can find that link on my website and also in the show notes. Harvard studies have shown that money can buy happiness up to about $75,000 per year, but beyond that, it doesn't make you any happier. Above that level, money doesn't increase happiness and may actually decrease your happiness because you have new sources of stress i.e. rich people's problems, when you start to buy more stuff that you have to worry about. The hedonic treadmill, also known as hedonic adaptation, begins where people adjust to their new level of money and return to the same level of happiness as before. When you finally get what you wanted, you then adapt quickly to that level of satisfaction and soon that same thing no longer gives you a sense of pleasure or happiness. The more you have, the more you need in order to feel happier. So you keep seeking more and more, and that's where you find yourself on the hedonic treadmill. That's probably why the happiest people spend money to get more time freedom, like hiring a maid, hiring someone to cut the grass, etc., not to buy more stuff. Most people who think they want financial freedom are actually searching for time freedom. Money buys you more free time when you can outsource and hire people to do the things that used to take your time so you can use your time in other ways. While there is economic inequality in even the richest countries on the planet like USA, the U.S. showed a high level of stress and negative feelings in the 2019 Gallup Global State of Emotions report. 55% of Americans reported feeling a lot of stress compared to the 35% global average. 
In USA, that's up from 46% in 2006. Clearly, stress is on the rise in the last decade. The levels of negative emotions reported in the recent several years turned out to be higher than during the U.S. economic recession years. Along with the poorest 20% of the population, 15 to 49-year-old Americans are the most stressed nowadays. They're the most worried and also the most angry. USA came in fourth place out of 143 countries for the top stressed countries, right behind Greece, Philippines, and Tanzania. USA tied with Albania, Iran, and Sri Lanka. Chronic stress destroys mental health and causes chronic diseases, so it's no wonder that America is sicker than ever. America is the richest nation on the planet. Its loss of happiness and increase in stress seems to be more of a social crisis than an economic one. That brings me to number two. Number two, choose your values wisely because they are contributing to your health and happiness or just the opposite. Jordan Peterson says one of the most profound things he has learned is that values aren't created. They're discovered through a consultation with the parts of yourself that you're not fully conscious of yet. He says you have to discover what your values are through a dialogue with yourself and your conscience. Sometimes we have life experiences that catapult us into the abyss and put us in contact with that part of ourselves where we can discover our true values. Peterson also says, that's why being truthful is so important. If you've warped yourself by engaging in self-deception and lies, you're not living in the world as you should live in it. So when you discuss with yourself about what your values are, it's like you're talking with someone that you can't trust. Health is on the decline due to junk food and also junk values. When you're sick, you can't function. You can't work, you can't parent, you can't be present in a relationship, you can't pursue your dreams and make a difference in the world around you. It's hard to even find enjoyment in life when you're not well. Health is both physical and mental. Johan Hari, author of Lost Connections, Uncovering the Real Causes of Depression, writes, Junk food has taken over our diets, and it's making millions of people physically sick. A growing body of scientific evidence suggests that something similar is happening with our minds. They have become dominated by junk values, and this is making us mentally sick, triggering soaring rates of depression and anxiety. Junk values is a term coined by psychology professor Tim Kasser, an author of The High Price of Materialism. His scientific studies have shown the link between materialism and unhappiness, as well as poor physical health. Junk values are like psychological toxins. They're based on materialism and extrinsic motivation. There's nothing wrong with enjoying money, stuff, and the flesh, but when that's the focal point of life, getting more money, getting more stuff, getting more ass, there's a problem. According to Professor Kasser, people who are driven by junk values become more depressed and anxious. He writes, the negative effects of holding materialistic values include low life satisfaction, unhappiness, depression and anxiety, physical problems such as headaches and personality disorders, narcissism, and antisocial behavior. Now, as you know, narcissists and other abusers encourage their targets to seek external validation, namely from their approval 
or from things that will make the narcissist proud to be with you. Narcissists are very interested in you when you have money, status, stuff, and an attractive body, as well as your friends and associates who have those things. When we seek happiness and validation outside ourselves, it will always be fleeting. You might get some momentary dopamine hits from extrinsic motivation, but that drug will eventually wear off and you will inevitably feel more sick, angry, insecure, and addicted, yet never satisfied. Narcissistic ego gratification is promoted everywhere nowadays. In ads that tell you what you need in order to feel good. In social media where people put on facades to look like they have amazing lives and everything is unicorns and rainbows. Keeping up with the Joneses is now more like comparisons with Instagram models, positive vibes only influencers, and insta-perfect families. It's also the shiny object syndrome, where people can get sucked into seeking more and new everything while forgetting what is real and actually valuable. They get caught in shallow, empty external validation through money, status, stuff, and the flesh. The recent shift into the swipe culture and dating is founded upon the same thing. Where is the depth of connection, value, and commitment Of course, there's a lot of societal pressure to seek externally because that's good for the economy and appearances. However, it's bad for happiness and well-being. It's important to make conscious choices about what you value because that will determine what you consume. What you consume will either make you healthy and happy or it will make you sick and miserable. Number three, create deep friendships with a small handful of people. We are living in a more virtual world every day. The simulation of friends is replacing true connection. People are amassing quote-unquote friends on social media to give them the sense of popularity and significance, but followers aren't the same as friends. The word friend is becoming one of the most misused words in the English language. As Johan Hari says, the relationship between social media and social life is like the relationship between porn and sex. People are confusing a social network with a support network. The social network is about the quantity of people you know, and the support network is about the quality of those connections. It's not the same. How many true friends do you have? In a study done in 1985, people reported an average of three close friends. By 2006, that number dropped to two, 25% of people surveyed couldn't name one close friend they could rely on without a doubt. That's really sad. Studies are also showing that one of the most important parameters of happiness is quality time spent with friends and family. I think this is why Latin American countries report high levels of happiness, often despite poverty. There's a cultural value upon family and social events. Your relationships with others is one of the most important contributors to your mental health, according to a Harvard study of adult development. Professor John Cacioppo from the University of Chicago said, We are the loneliest society there's ever been. As we've talked about before, the worst kind of loneliness is the kind you feel when you're surrounded by people. That can happen in real life and also online. If you're hanging out with negative or toxic people, that will drain your happiness and block your success. According to a Harvard study, the people you hang out with determines up to 95%
of your success or failure in life. This is why it's so important to get the toxic people out if you want to be happy and successful. How can you be successful or happy when the people around you are telling you that you're not good enough? Or they're not okay with you changing and improving your life? Or they're jealous of you? Or they're undermining your success? Guard your inner circle of people like your life depends on it, because it does. We humans have a need for social connection, true connection, where we feel a sense of belonging, where we are seen and heard, where we are valued for who we are. The World Health Organization said that mental health is produced socially. There's a correlation between social support and happiness. According to studies, the happiest and most successful people have supportive families and friends. Also, People who are in happy marriages also report greater states of happiness than those who are not. That news kind of sucks for those of us who woke up one day and realized we were surrounded by manipulative and toxic people. Doing a house cleaning is necessary to get the users, energy drainers, time wasters, and fake friends out. But then what? It may not be fair that some people have rich social lives with family and friends who care about them and are good people, while others were dealt a different hand of cards. Don't let that get you down. Don't resign yourself to victimhood. Work on boundaries and self-worth so you never settle for another abuser again. Also, get clear about what your true values are so you can start to speak that truth and resonate with others who have similar values. If you don't have loving support from your family, create a new family with your closest friends and soul brothers and sisters. Little by little, you too can build a support network. Number four, cultivate connection even when the world around you is promoting disconnection. Disconnection causes dis-ease. I wrote about that in my first book, Freedom from the Story. I drew parallels to the disconnection that takes place through trauma. Trauma fragments the soul from a spiritual or shamanic perspective. Those of us who have been through severe traumas know this better than anyone else. However, nowadays in our world, no one is untouched by this growing trend of disconnection, unless, of course, they live in some tribe that does not communicate with the rest of society in person or via TV and other media. The paradox of our world is that we are more technologically connected than ever, yet there is a loneliness epidemic due to a sense of disconnection. When you've been through narcissistic abuse, you experience a devastating sense of loneliness. What makes us not so different than the rest of society is that most people are experiencing loneliness as a byproduct of modern life. It blows my mind to think about the I children who were born after the internet. They have no idea what life was like before cell phones, Google, and social media. I'm 41 years old and part of the last generation that remembers life before and after the internet. The internet is an amazing thing, and without it, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't have an online business. I wouldn't have found my calling in life. However, like all things, if it's misused, it can become destructive. Most of society is disconnected from true self, from others, from nature, and from a higher power. When we are disconnected from self, we forget who we really are. Trauma disconnects you from your true self and replaces that connection with toxic shame. But we trauma survivors are not the only ones who are disconnected. What gives you 
a deep sense of connection. I would encourage you to seek out those experiences because it's incredibly healing to feel reconnected to yourself and the universe. Personally, I found the most powerful experiences of connection through journeys with psychedelic medicine. Now, I'm not promoting reckless recreational drug use at all. I'm talking about approaching psychedelic medicine with reverence for the power that it yields and the responsibility required of the seeker. I know that psychedelics aren't for everyone, and that's okay. I am so grateful for the medicinal plants that have helped me reconnect deeply with myself and all that is. I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for the gift of those experiences. Every time I sensed that deep feeling of connection, I cried tears of joy because I knew that's how it's supposed to be. The Gallup Global Report that I mentioned earlier shows that people are more satisfied with life in countries where there is more spending on healthcare and less on military, where there is less corruption, less conflict, less violence, and more political stability. I thought that was really interesting. There's surely a systemic disconnection when a government is spending billions of dollars annually on waging wars, yet it can't feed and house the poor or provide a basic form of health care for all citizens. It really comes down to priorities. And when the focus is on junk values like global hegemony and domination instead of the well-being of the people and the planet, that is a symptom of disconnection, which only causes more dis-ease. Number five, seek meaning in your life if you want to be happy. Lack of meaning is the main cause of unhappiness and stress. I think this is the most impactful parameter of all five that I'm mentioning here. As society has become more superficial, more materialistic, more virtual, there is an increasing loss of a sense of meaning. It's a human need to feel that we are making a difference and contributing something meaningful to the world around us, that the work we do in life matters, that we matter. Viktor Frankl wrote in Man's Search for Meaning, Our primary motivation is our will to create meaning in life. In times of crisis, people reach for meaning. Meaning is strength. Our survival may depend on our seeking and finding it. He wrote that book in 1946 after surviving the Holocaust. Frankel suffered severe trauma during the war, and his writing came from his experiences and insights. He wrote, Despair is suffering without meaning. Frankel realized that what determined who lived and who died in the concentration camps was based upon meaning. Those who had something to live for could endure the same conditions that took the lives of those without a sense of meaning to live for. I think his words have never been more relevant, even though he died a long time ago. He said, Our survival may depend on our seeking and finding meaning. Frankel also wrote, When man cannot find meaning, he numbs himself with pleasure. This is exactly where society is, and I believe it's one of the predominant reasons why people are so unhappy, why there's an opiate addiction crisis in America, why Americans can have so much, the richest country in the world, yet so many people feel so miserable. People are taught to seek the wrong things. Seeking pleasure leads only to temporary ego gratification, instant gratification, but it doesn't last. 
the pleasure biochemicals wear off, and that withdrawal makes you want more pleasure. People become addicted to pleasure, bouncing from one dose to another of whatever their drug of choice is, inevitably chasing the dragon and needing ever more intensity of pleasure to reach the same feeling of temporary satisfaction. For sure, we are being misled by the powers that be who want to maintain a status quo of distracted, pleasure-chasing, miserable, unsatisfied, disconnected cubicle slaves serving as cogs in their machine. However, it's also our responsibility to do better, to rise up from the depths of despair and disempowerment, becoming the human beings that we were born to be, not shells of people producing, suffering, and paying bills until we die. The choice is ours. We can sit around and complain about the way things are and how abusive the controllers of humanity are, or we can grab the reins of our destiny in our hands and do something about it. Discovering meaning would be a good start. Frankel also wrote, Ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather he must recognize that it is he who is asked. What I think he means by that is, there is no grand meaning to life. You get to discover that for yourself. In fact, it's your responsibility. Frankel wrote, The quest for meaning is the key to mental health and human flourishing. I am sure that he's right. If humanity has a chance to survive the coming years, we are going to have to do a better job of discovering meaning in our own lives, to start living meaningfully, and to stop letting the powers that be tell us who we are. What gives your life a sense of meaning? When have you felt that your life was the most meaningful? What were you doing in those moments? How can you bring more of that into your life? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you see from a new perspective so you can take new action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse. Remember, you are enough, you matter, and you got this. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released. Visit us online at www.innerintegration.com where you'll get a free three-part video course when you enter your name and email on the homepage. Get loads of more free content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.